Hi, welcome to B-Side Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us listening today and happy to have these guys with me here today to talk about some of our topics. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Brad. Bob. Good morning, Brad. Philip. Hey, Brad. Dustin. Good morning, Brad. We've got a whole crew here. We're going to talk about several good listener questions. We always appreciate when you send those in. You can email us at bci at ksu.edu, or you can contact us on Twitter at the underscore BCI. And we love getting those, and we've got a couple good ones. One is a follow-up on, we talked about breeding soundness exam and bulls, some of the things that can go wrong. We're going to follow up on that. We're also going to talk about trees and how that impacts your cattle grazing, good and bad as well as how to get started in ag. Before we get into those topics, guys, the new Top Gun movie came out, and the original came out in 1986, which only some of us, Bob, were around to go (laughs) see the the original. But I want to hear, what's your favorite movie that came out before 1986? Wow. So, like, you want me to go back to, like, when there were silent movies let's stay like, stay let's with stay the talkies, talkies. Well, all right yeah. <laughs> stay in the talkies uh, so so you know honestly one of our family favorite movies is the sting you know it's a robert redford um paul newman movie and in fact i've got three daughters and so whenever they start having a, a boy hanging around we make them come watch the sting and if the boy doesn't appreciate the quality of the cinema yeah. then uh dad's not gonna that's the, that's the test that's, that's my test yeah that's, that's the test they have to go through yeah, yeah. philip well, I was born in 1976, so before 1986 is anything's a rerun. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I have seen a few Smokey and the Bandit. I've seen some of the early James Bond movies. Um, some of those. Well, there's some good James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Ryan, you got one? Uh, I had to look because I was right on the border. Um, actually, we just watched this the other night. Princess Bride was 1987, so it's oh. out. This is one of my uh, classic, one. family classic there. But I'm going to go with Rocky. Rocky. It gives me lots yeah. of, I like the movie, and gives me yeah. lots of pre-1986. First, the Rocky. first Rocky is super long and lots of talking. What? I just remember the running around and you know, You're thinking of Rocky 2, No, I'm four. chasing the chicken yeah. and all that kind of stuff, yeah. <laughs> Dustin? Well, like Philip, uh, I'm a little younger than maybe 1986. I didn't quite remember everything, but I would have to say probably the Star Wars, those early Star Wars. Oh, good. Or yeah. uh, The Godfather. I really like that for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah good, good one. Excellent. Nobody, nobody mentioned the, the Dirty Dozen is a good movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As is the outlaw Josie Wales. Again, if you haven't know. seen those, both of those are worth star cast. Yeah, I've seen that yeah. one. Excellent. So sorry for taking you guys so far back in time. We'll come back to present day and talk a, a little bit about. So, Bob, I, I'm going to start with you because w- we had a follow up. We talked about things that could go wrong at the BSE or the breeding soundness exam for bulls and w- what you might do. One of the things that we did not address was penile warts. Mm-hmm. So it is uh, not uncommon to see a bull that has penile warts. And typically this is not going to let them pass. They're not going to pass a BSE. But typically, it's not a huge problem. The question from the listener was, what should I do when my bull has that? Am I thinking new bull? Do we, do we treat him? And then what are the follow-ups? Yeah. A couple of things is, is by far most commonly in young bulls. So this is primarily a yearling bull type of an issue. And usually, uh, yes, you're right. They won't pass a BSE. Uh, there's several reasons for that. Is um, One is they're very likely to, to bleed, and blood is very uh, deadly to sperm cells and so there's there's several reasons why they won't pass but they're relatively easy to address so you can either just 
remove them with a you know heavy scissors or a scalpel blade and depending on their size they can be quite small or actually fairly large and some of the larger ones will use uh, freezing techniques and other things to kind of get down and, and remove that uh, wart but then they need some time to heal uh, as well so they still won't pass the breeding soundness exam immediately after they are surgically uh, corrected yeah and yes they they generally can be healed. Um, it depends a little bit on the size and shape for me. So we sometimes we see warts that we, we call pedunculated. So it means they have kind of a small stalk. Um, if you think about like a, like a head of broccoli, right? It, it has that small stalk. And those are ones that cut them off, you freeze them, and generally they do really well. Some of them don't have that stalk, and they have a really wide base, and they those can be a little more difficult to deal with. So my prognosis for long-term kind of depends on what I see. Um, if it's a really big, thick, heavy one, you can still treat it, but it may take multiple times freezing it or cutting it. Um, and it's generally a lot longer recovery period. And, so, and occasionally so, so, those, those bulls, particularly with the larger, big, wide base ones, you can get some nerve damage, some other things that actually make the bull never pass. That, that's not common, but it's not tremendously rare either. So it's something to certainly look at. Well, how long after do you, after you, after you take them off either by freezing or, or surgical removal, how long after before the bull is good? Or I can recheck him and say, yeah, we're, we're good to go. I, I usually say three to four weeks. Um, and, and it doesn't, the size at the initial kind of diagnosis doesn't matter as much because if it's a small one and I've taking care of it. Usually by three to four weeks, I feel pretty comfortable. He's probably going to pass. And if it's a big one, three to four weeks is a good time to come back and recheck and see if I need to do another treatment on it. Well, what causes these? Well, it's actually caused by a virus. Uh, basically the same as, you know, you'll see warts on other parts of the body and on skin and things like that. So it's a, it's a virus. And so pro probably that's one of the things that we think is older bulls develop some immunity over time. Uh, young bulls haven't developed that yet. Uh, a lot of times bulls in group housing are being bulls, and so they can pass it among themselves. And so I, I do think that if you have a bull with, with penile warts while they're being treated and stuff, I'd probably separate him from others just so that he doesn't re-injure it and, and, uh, until he's ready to go uh, actually be passed for his BSE. Which becomes kind of a pain if I have to group house bulls, if I'm feeding them for a performance test or I'm feeding them for something else. That becomes pretty difficult to keep them because you're saying he has to be isolated by himself. Yeah, I'd prefer that um, if he's been diagnosed with penile warts. I, I don't know that it's critical, critical, but I would prefer that. I think the healing is more likely to go well if he doesn't re-injure it. So a preference but not a necessity is what you're saying. Yeah, for me now. Or are anyway. you saying I could change my mind next week. but I, <laughs> Or I, in five minutes. I'll ask you again. Yeah, ask me again a little bit later. So, Brian, any other recommendations for those as far as what, what can we do to prevent them? Yeah, there, there really is no prevention. Like Bob said, they're caused by a virus. It's, it's a pretty common virus. Um, there's, you know, we bulls that get it probably just don't have the immunity to not get it. And the ones that don't have some developed immunity, there is no commercial vaccine available for it. So it's just one of those things. And we've talked about BSEs quite a bit recently, but it, it's just one more reason to to do that BSE in kind of that sweet window where you're not so far out from breeding season, things are going to change, but you're not so close to breeding season that um, you need this bull and now he can't start breeding cows on time. So so what about what about the cows? Are we concerned about them getting these warts from the bulls? Because you said they could pass them among each other. Not a typical problem we see in cows. And, and maybe because we're not looking. It right. could be. Yep. It could be but we're not looking. 
and I, I don't know, but um, they could serve a role in transmitting the virus from bull to bull. So, um, you know, we don't we don't typically worry about the cows with it, but um, they may serve as a vector for for transmitting it. So it's something you'll see in a lot of times yearling bulls, usually not a big deal, especially if they have a, a stalk, you can take it off, you can freeze it two or three weeks, you're good. Once in a while, it's a big deal and mm -hmm. we got to worry about it. If we can keep them separate, great. If not, it would be better if we could prevent that transmission and prevent any potential problems in the future. Don't always don't always necessarily have to. So is that anything yeah, else on? I'd, I'd say it's pretty close. But it's, I, I agree with uh, Brian. It's another reason to to do a breeding soundness exam because they're it's not uncommon. And so this is a reason that that a bull not ready for the breeding season. Well, it's also I'll throw in this is the reason, and and many of you have probably had this experience. You do a breeding soundness exam. The bull doesn't extend his penis, but you still get a, a sample. You can test the sample. You say the sample's good, but you're like, well, hey, I still have to see his penis before I complete the breeding soundness exam. And this is one of those reasons. This is one of the reasons, yep. In addition to, and we talked about corkscrew penis a couple weeks ago, there's a couple reasons that you really need to see that penis extended before you can pass that BSE. So next next question that we had, slightly different topic. Philip, I'm going to address this to you, is the, the question was, what's the nutritional value of tree leaves and, I, and i'm going to put this in a scenario of if you're rotating pastures and you're moving through and, and let's say you've got a heavily wooded area and this could be in any part of the country this question was from the southeastern part of the u.s but if the, if they're going through that wooded area there's a lot of times so much shade the grass is very very sparse at the at the bottom i'm describing to bob because because you're here in kansas we don't have we, that dense of woods yeah, we don't have most, trees like yeah, that not as many not as many but it will be very little grass. Can they sustain on tree leaves? So, Brad, we don't have a whole lot of nutritional information on tree leaves. It's not something that we typically send off for nutritional analysis or anything like that because it's not typically something we feed to cows. But they will eat them. When you think about low-hanging branches or branches that have broken off during a storm or something, the cows will eat the leaves off of those branches. And so there has been a little bit of data collected. Um, it was from quite a few years ago back there where we were talking about that movie era <laughs> and um, on tree leaves here in Kansas that I found. And it was taken through early early in the late fall. And those they have pretty good protein content. I mean, for especially for mature cows, it'll meet protein protein needs. And, but the digestibility is pretty low for some of them, particularly the oak leaves. Osage orange leaves had a really high digestibility, amazingly, that through the fall, they all tend to decrease. And one of the things we need to worry about, that besides some things from a digestibility and nutrition standpoint, are tannins. Those leaves are going to be very high in tannins, and that's going to bind up protein and not make it as digestible, even though the concentration is there the availability of that protein will be much lower. Yeah, it is interesting to think about other other ruminants, deer and other things that are, are, and goats that are pretty good browsers. They must have slightly different ability to handle those. But one of the things as a veterinarian I think about is there's a number of those trees and tree leaves that are toxic. And you can get into some problems with uh, toxins with these leaves or acorns if it's oak and things like that. But a lot of times we talk about the toxins, it is after... The scenario that we kind of talked about, a storm comes through, tree branches mm -hmm. blow off, and then they die. And it's when the when the leaves are going, th is it when the leaves are going through that death process, or is it even if they're on the tree? 
my understanding is it's even when they're on the tree. Yeah, Brian? That, that's my understanding, too. But that, So we need to ask a toxicologist. We need to ask a toxicologist. Yeah. But, you know, some of the leaves that we think about, so oak, both the leaves and the acorns can be toxic. Uh, cherry trees, if you happen to have cherry trees, they're not quite as common. Uh, those leaves are very toxic. And then things like uh, pine needles, particularly ponderosa pine and those kinds of things, can cause abortions in cows. So cows aren't browsers, and so they, there are some nutritional – they're not browsers. No, and you're right, Bob. Like goats and, and some of those animals, they're better able to handle those tannins and some of those toxins in their system than a cow can. And so browsing on those things for goats is more okay than it is for cows. In the other – the other thing too beyond just the toxin kind of listening to some of the species we're mentioning and i i know this question came out of the southeast and and maybe it's a little bit different but you know when i people talk about oak and osage orange and other things like that one of the other things i worry about is impaction so getting things caught up in the digestive tract a lot of those um it's not i'd worry more about the toxicity i guess but if cattle are eating those things it's probably because they're pretty hungry and they don't have and so we you know here in kansas um, we it's not uncommon to see a choke from an osage orange hedge ball Um, it wouldn't be uncommon to see an acorn impaction or just simply a stick so they can't consume everything without some sort of potential side effect or digestive issue and beyond just the toxicity and the nutritional value of it. Well, and I think you're right. Bob, Bob mentioned pine needles. So the pine needle abortions, often that may be in a scenario where we have very little grass and that's all they're left with to eat. And they eat enough of those to get a high quantity. The hedge apples and the choke, sometimes I don't get it, right? I don't know why they look at that thing and go, I bet that'll fit. <laughs> I bet that'll uh, go. And, there, and there's grass. And there's grass. They'll do it when there's grass. And they go, eh. I, I think sometimes there's a curiosity factor with that, right? It's oh, it's big and bright yellow. Let's chew on it and a see curiosity. what happens. Or, or just like uh, we kind of convince people to do stuff. You go, I bet you can't eat that. <laughs> <laughs> One cow to the other going, well, I bet you can't eat that. Oh, but I can. The trees, I think, as a they, they may help a little. There may be some nutritional value. But be sure to be cautious of the offset of the toxic concerns. So there are some potential toxic concerns as you go through. And I like the idea here of having a rotational plan. And and maybe we'd have to qualify that with, and, and I kind of mentioned this at the outset, but qualify that with the type of area that we're talking about. So we're we talking about a thick forested area with no grass on the ground or have we spread it out because a lot of times if you've got trees spread out they're gonna they're gonna deal with the grass first yeah i mean you think like a silvo pasture situation where you've got grass in underneath of those trees and they may eat a few tree leaves or whatever along the way that have fallen and that during the early fall and that and, sort of thing. and no big deal yeah. yeah yeah not worried about that but probably not going to help that much you're not going to make up a nutritional diet with that and i'll go back to I think rotational grazing systems are great, but they're not consistent in that I can't plan it out and say, I'm going to move them on the 10th of June. I'm going to move them on the 14th of June. I'm going to, you have to adjust based on rainfall, pasture availability, and monitoring cow body condition. But cow body condition, we've talked about it before, very much a lagging indicator, right? It's going to tell us well after the fact if they're not getting enough to eat or not. So I need to estimate before how much grass do they have available and how much how much are they going to eat as they go through? Yeah, I mean, 
think about body condition, it's probably take take you two months to see whether they have changed the body condition score or not. So you get two months of decreasing weight before you can really see a difference. So how would you tell if they've got enough to eat in that pasture then? Probably look at behavior. You know, are they spending more time out grazing, trying to scrounge stuff up and eat, not, not as much time loafing and ruminating and are they eating things that they normally don't eat? I mean, if you notice the weeds that are being eaten off that they normally wouldn't eat, then that means they're short of things that they would prefer to eat. Yeah, because they're not browsers, as you mentioned, Bob, but they're pretty preferential grazers. And they, and they will eat certain grasses first. They will eat certain, whether it's weeds or forbs or anything that's in there, they'll eat those first. But I think you've got to monitor the biomass, the amount of grass that's out there in, in some fashion because if I just look at the cows, I'm going to be behind the curve, I think. So next question, and, and I think this is a good one. And Dustin, I'm going to start with you. We've talked about in the past getting into the beef industry. And, and there was a question from a listener. And I think this is a great question because all of us interact with students, right? Under, undergrad, high school, other. And they said, hey, why don't you guys broaden it out a little bit? And in this specific scenario... I didn't grow up on a farm or ranch. I like cattle, but I don't have any experience with cattle. And I feel like it's hard to get experience when I don't have any experience, right? All of us have had that where you go apply for a job and they're like, yeah, you'd be great for this if you had experience. You're like, I can't get experience unless you hire me. So what would your advice be, Dustin? So I guess just as someone who interacts with undergrads, you know, maybe on a daily basis, uh, I think, I guess, first off, now is a perfect time, I think, with the labor shortages in every single industry. If, you, if one wants to truly get into ag or into specifically more into the, the beef cattle side, I guess if, if you're thinking going back to either high school or, or a college student, if you know, there's a lot of opportunities at, at the university to get involved. That's through clubs, that's through the university farms, et cetera. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities uh, for youth to get involved if if that's truly what they want. There's at the university, in addition to the farms, you got interns, externships. And, and we're actually starting to see a lot more, at least in the ag econ department, I can't speak for others, but there's a lot of more and more students are coming from the urban, the, you know, the Kansas cities, the Wichita's, the larger uh, areas. And so, and they're obviously not coming from the ag background either, but they're getting involved and in, 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 in whatnot. And so I guess my thoughts are it's there if you want to. Uh, and so just if, if, if you're young, if you're energetic, if you, if you really have that desire, I think there's a lot of opportunities, not just within the university setting, but also outside the university setting with producers. Because I think a lot of producers that I've talked to, you know, as long as somebody's willing to learn and, you know, that's exactly what, I mean, if that's what they think they want to do, they're willing to train and, and teach and work with them. Yeah, because you can teach, you can teach the cattle handling skills, you can teach the safety, you can teach some of the things that you need to know. You cannot teach enthusiasm for the subject. Correct. Yeah. No, it, if you've got the determination, the motivation, I mean, yeah, having the experience growing up, it's nice. But on the other hand, you know, I think, Bob, you said something earlier, it, having a, a fresh set of eyes, I think is what you said actually is, can be extremely beneficial. And so, that would be a strength that they might be able to, that the student might be able to bring to the table. Yeah, I think that, I, I do think that, you know, working with veterinary students and undergraduate students that have an ag background that are used to cattle handling, some of the things you mentioned, Brad, just animal behavior, how to handle them, how to be safe around them, those are great advantages to have growing, grown up around livestock or ag. But 
I also agree that that there's there is a value of fresh eyes just asking the questions. Why do we do that that way? And and you can't have both of those advantages at the same time. You can't have fresh eyes and experience. So I would say to somebody that doesn't have the experience, well, lean into your advantage, which is the ability to ask good questions. Why do we do things this way? Is there a better way? And and I think there's some advantages to that. I my my wife did not grow up around uh, agriculture. She grew up in a suburban area, but became interested in ag before she met me. And it it was fascinating being in practice with her because she asked better questions than I could come up with because she saw everything with fresh eyes. And, and I saw that as an advantage. Um, you, you do have to be willing to learn as people tell you about their operations and about how livestock are raised. But there's some advantages to uh, just coming in and asking the kind of the obvious questions sometimes. But you've got to break through that barrier of I might feel stupid. And we, we'll say as teachers, we'll often say, that, oh, there's no stupid questions. Well, sometimes there are. And I've asked them. feels that way. I've asked. Well, I've asked them before and you're like, oh, well, everybody else knew that. Okay. Well, I didn't know it or I wouldn't have asked the question. So that's what makes it not a stupid question. It may be something that everybody else knew, but I got to be willing to say, hey, I've got to I've got to be able to ask that and have somebody give me an answer and then I won't have to ask again. And I, th- I think another thing, too, is and, and I don't the situation is a little bit vague. I don't know exactly where this person is at. But the other thing is you have to be willing to start slow. Right. And so everybody can run a shovel and I know shovels are used pretty much everywhere. So it might be that you're doing weekend work on a farm just to kind of be around cattle. And maybe you move into start processing some cattle with a crew. Like there are ways, but but you have to, it just depends on what your expectations are. If you go from absolutely no ag experience and you're trying to look for positions where you're managing feed that's not a good transition so you've got to find a way to work into it and you know dustin said at the university there's clubs and there's work experience on the university farms those are great if this person isn't in 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 their undergraduate education anymore you know it might be might be weekend help at a local farmer ranch or feed yard or whatever so you just have to i think you have to be willing to go in and work hard and be a whatever whatever i got to do to get some more experience kind of deal because I don't care if you're running a shovel or pulling weeds or doing something else. If you're enthusiastic to be there, that will be recognized and you'll start to pick up skills because you'll be around others going through. And I don't, I'm, my shovel skills are not that good, Brian. Maybe you could come over. I got a little spot that no, you can come over and you could show me. I'll watch you work and then I'll get better. I'm thinking you need to just work on that yourself. <laughs> I thought, I thought Brian would be able to come help me and maybe show me a little bit more. So. Appreciate that question, and, and I do think jump in is, is our motto here, and, and jump in and figure it out, and I'll go back to what I said earlier. We can teach skills. We can't teach the enthusiasm. We can't teach the want to, the desire to get better, and I think there's a lot of operations that would be more than happy to have somebody come on board, and that's what you were saying, Dustin. Yeah, no, basically something I've always lived by is if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, exactly. Good point. So we've, we're happy having you listening here with us today. And we enjoyed getting a chance to, we talked all about listener questions today. So if you have listener questions, you can certainly send us an email at bci at ksu.edu or contact us on Twitter. Mm-hmm.